Hello, and welcome to Getting It. The conversation where we try to understand life just that little bit more. My name is Dan. And my name is Saban. We're both medical students based in London. And in this episode, we talk about the process of learning and revision with a focus on medical school exams. In particular, we discuss the roles of discipline, self-awareness and natural fluctuations in focus during our study routines. Hello, Dan. Hello, Saban. How are you doing today? Yeah, not bad. Usually you start off the greeting, so it feels a bit odd going around this way, but yeah, how are you? Yeah, I know, I know. I just want to see how it felt. I didn't like it. Uh, next time I'll <laughs> yeah, do it again. If, I feel some internal tension going on right now. Mm, okay, right. Well, well, I'll know for next time. But um, yeah, I, I'm doing well. I've got finals. Um, i got finals in like um, four days now. It's on Thursday. Mm-hmm. So I've been preparing for that a lot recently, as I'm sure you'd not be surprised to find out. I've been doing basically... Oh, I don't know. I'll talk about it more in a minute. I think that will be the topic of today's episode, if you don't mind, because, yeah, just reflections on it so far. On the studying process and everything. Yeah, I mean, it's something that, again, it's in that kind of oversaturated field of like, I I don't want (laughs) to make the studying tips for sure, because that would imply that I know um, the best ways to study. And each person's different. But I do like reflecting on the different ways that we learn. And it's the first time since going into med school that I've actually really dedicated myself to an exam, honestly. I I don't know how that will come across, but what I mean is like, you know, every day making it the priority of my day, not just like, oh, damn, I've got an exam next month. I need to do some revision. But like I wake up and it's like, okay, I'm revising today. That's the plan. Mm. So, yeah, I've been doing that for quite a while now. In fact, I would say a couple of months at least. So, yeah, for me, that's different to what it's been like in the past. I know for some people that's quite usual. That's quite normal. Um, but yeah, uh, before we continue though, uh, how are you doing? What what part of your, uh, the end of the year are you in? Um, I am just in the final run up to my write-up and presentation. So I've got my oral presentation for the research project that I've been doing over the past couple of months. That is on Thursday or Friday. I don't know yet. I think I'll find out on Monday, so tomorrow or today, if you're listening to this when it's released. Um, and then the week after that is when the write-up is actually due. So still gives some time to, you know, tweak things and finish things up. But yeah, for the most part, it seems to be going all right, smoother than expected. My supervisor is, well, and my co-supervisor is, are both really helpful in terms of like streamlining it, refining it, and just really just giving me advice in terms of what's worth mentioning, what's not m- worth mentioning. So I suppose I'm lucky in that sense as well. Can we have a sneak preview into the name of the write-up? Um, I, I, I mentioned it in the, you know, the GameStop episode that we did. Yes, uh, I, I briefly spoke about ago. it there. Yeah, um, I mentioned the title there. The title has changed. So initially mm. it was the hormonal control of fat oxidation using um, metabolic phenotyping. So the metabolomics in terms of blood metabolites and stuff. We're, we've bond the metabolomics because COVID delays it all in that department. We just haven't got that analysis back. Um, but to be fair, so that kind of required a reworking of the aims and hypothesis, kind of, in terms of just re, like re-streamlining it and refocusing it. But it's actually probably more useful or is helpful for me for this project because we only have 5,000 words to talk about it. And, you know, I'm pretty much at the point where I'm kind of filling it up, just talking about everything that we did without the metabolomics and putting that like bringing that in as well. So yeah, that probably would have made it more stressful and harder to kind of really refine it and streamline it and actually make sure I mention everything that I need to. So it's, you know, I suppose a blessing in disguise, I suppose. But I remember at first I was like, oh man, that was a really cool part of this whole thing. But um, yeah, now it's just focusing on the hormonal control of fat oxidation during fed and fasted exercise. Um, So yeah. Good to know. 
I look forward yeah. to reading it, hopefully. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll give you a little sneak peek into the presentation sometime soon. Yes, sir. So. Yes, please. Okay. But for today, we'll be reflecting on the exam process, right? The process of preparing for um, an exam at university. And yeah, I'll be basically talking anecdotally because I want to just reflect on my experiences. Do you mind if we just start? Yeah, or ju just just before we start, I wanted to quickly mention a few things about last week's episode, so it shouldn't need to take like a couple of minutes. So there were just a few things I forgot to mention about Ramadan, which are <laughs> quite important. So apologies for that. But um, yeah, I forgot to mention that, or I don't think I properly mentioned that Ramadan is the month of the Quran, basically, because it was a month in which the Quran was actually first revealed. So it was the OG Laylatul uh, Qadr, basically the OG night of decree. Um, and then every Ramadan, the angel Gabriel uh, would come down and revise the Quran basically with the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So that's why this is basically the month of the Quran. I briefly mentioned that everyone pushes themselves to read more, recite more and listen to as much Quran as possible during Ramadan. But and like sometimes even completing it multiple times throughout the month. And that that's basically why, because it is the month of the Quran and the Prophet and the companions would strive to be in constant remembrance of Allah. And the best way to remember Allah is by recitation of the Quran. The best way to recite the Quran is in prayer. So that's why they'd be praying all night, reciting all night and everything. Um, yeah. And I also repeatedly said that people would be uh, um, praying all night as well. The night's like throughout the year, not just Ramadan, are typically the best time to pray, uh, to, to pray specifically the, the last third of the night as well. Um, and the Prophet and companions would stand basically all night in Ramadan because the nights of Ramadan are even more blessed than, you know, the, the rest of the year. So uh, the other point is that the fact, yeah, Ramadan is um, the month to fast from food and water and whatnot and everything else that's prescribed in terms of fasting Ramadan. But the, the kind of subtle part of it is it's also the month to fast all of your senses. So not just food and water, your eyes, your tongues, your your tongues, your, your tongue, your hands, your ears and everything. So it's not, so that basically means not, you know, looking at bad things, not saying bad things or gossiping or backbiting, not not doing bad actions with your hands, your body and stuff and not listening to bad things and, 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 and whatnot. And like, you know, not even taking part or listening to conversations where there's gossiping or backbiting or something. So it's a complete fast in terms of everything. Um, and that's another important point. And the other point was, I also said that the night of decree is like a multiplication factor for your deeds. But in fact, all of Ramadan is basically like that and has that blessing. The night of decree is just even more so. So the, the prophets, would be even more generous and do even more good deeds and acts of charity in the month of Ramadan uh, to, to like leverage that entire benefit. And so we do the same as well. And it's commonly reminded that the deeds that are most pleasing to Allah are the ones that are consistent, even if they're small. And that isn't just from Ramadan, that's just always. Um, and that's one of the, um, you know, habit and like consistency building aspects of Ramadan because everyone just ends up doing small deeds every single day and throughout the day for the whole month um, whether it's simply uh, glorifying his name um, throughout the day or setting aside one pound in charity every day those are the deeds that you usually end up continuing after Ramadan because you feel the intrinsic benefit from it and you continue that throughout the year um, because you feel yeah, that inherent blessing in doing so. Um, and those are the deeds that are also the most beloved to Allah. Not that one big hit donation, but that small consistency throughout the year. Um, and yeah, those were just a few things I wanted to mention about Ramadan that I didn't really cover in last week's episode. So I'll leave it there and we can go and talk about studying. <laughs> yeah, there's like a, like a U-turn, not a U-turn, but like a divergence. Yeah, it is. It, hopefully we can do another episode in the next few months. Um, maybe talking about Ramadan or, I don't know, just covering other uh, important events in the Islamic calendar in general. It's very interesting. I enjoyed I enjoyed last week's episode. Okay, so uh, reflecting on the last couple of months. So 
first of all, um, with your exams, what's the structure like? Do you have multiple choice exams? Do you write essay exams? Like, How does it generally work at Imperial? So for the first two years, it was a mix of well, the final, like the big exams at the end of the year were pretty much always multiple choice. So there'd be maybe like 52 or like 50 to 80 multiple choice questions or something. Then there'd be another like 20 to 30 marks worth of, um, they, they call them SAQs, short answer questions. So it'd basically be like your classical kind of biology textbook kind of question where, you know, it'd be a question and you actually have to write stuff. It's not just multiple choice. So that'd be like a quarter of the exam. The other three quarters would be multiple choice in roughly those kind of proportions. And those um, SAQs could be longer questions like five markers sometimes, or it could simply just be like a labeling of an anatomy picture sometimes. So not multiple choice, but yeah. Um, but a lot of the time, in like say the pharmacology ones, it'd be more conceptual based and you had to actually write out answers properly and explain yourself. So we'd have those big exams at the end of the year. And then throughout the year, it'd be interspersed with different write-up assignments, right? So lab reports or PBL task write-ups and stuff. So that, that's the way it's been throughout Imperial. Obviously, clinical years are slightly different. Um, and obviously, the BSc yeah. year is different, where it's mostly just assignments. So, I mean, for us, it's slightly different in that we've always had MCQs. We've always had multiple choice questions for our written exams. We have, like, essay components as well throughout the year, each year. And um, we also have OSCEs as well, like the practical exams, as you do too. But for our written exams, we get... In the past, it would be 100 questions, just 100 MCQs, standard. And it was also done in the form of progress tests. So you sit the same exam, uh, like uh, questions from the same bank, uh, question bank, three times in the same year. And in theory, you'd hope that, you know, between the first, second, and then second and third exams, your score's going to go up. Um, mm. That's the aim anyway. If it goes yeah. down, I don't know. It's not it's like you're... <laughs> yeah. but to be fair, that's, that's just a really good thing. That's one thing I really didn't like, especially in first year when we started doing the exams. Obviously everything's new in uni in, in the way things are examined and it's different for each uni as well, even for the same course. We didn't have any kind of progress tests or, you know, mock tests really. So you'd be going into the big exam for the first time, doing it for the first time entirely. Uh, and obviously, you, you know, you can sometimes find questions that are similar or you get advice and questions written from the years above who have similar questions and similar formats and stuff. But it's just not the same having like a question bank that is very like basically from the uni and they give you like this mock test we we just didn't get that and just we didn't get it in second year and whatnot as well and but it's it's like um it's interesting that i don't think most people even see it as like a mock test it's more just like we're sitting the same exam each time kind of it's just that one exam counts for our final uh, grade and the other ones don't but it's very much the same process so i i do agree in that um, it's a good thing and that we're lucky to have that because i'm going into this exam on thursday thinking like you know I've done this exam twice already this year. I passed fine. I know where I am roughly and I've worked harder for this exam. So in theory, mm. I should, you know, be doing better unless, you know, unless I, I don't know, something goes very wrong. But yeah, I, I yeah. hope that it will be fine. Um, but yeah, as I said, um, my approach to this exam has been different to previous ones as well in that for this exam, I've really tried to dedicate myself and push myself more than before. I'm not, um, I don't have the capacity to sit down and study for 12 hours a day. I, I get quite... Um, distracted after a while and in the past oh I look back man like in third <laughs> you, you year you barely sit down for like 20 minutes and like, oh, concentrate it, it was very bad I can't believe like I don't know what was going on in like second and third year I don't know um, how I was passing I was very lucky but um, I was I was I was essentially definitely just doing it out of necessity you know mm. and what's nice now is remember we talked about Ninja Nerd yeah and um, <laughs> how he he's an incredible teacher 
he, he first... kind of sparked it for you, didn't he? He did. When you started binging his videos. In like January, February time, I started to watch his videos a lot because I realized next year I graduate. So um, I have to be competent by next year. I have, I'll be working as a doctor from next year. I have to know what's going on. I have to know what the liver yeah. does by next year. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, the kidneys, I have to know how many we have. Um, so yeah, like um, I started, my process was quite deliberate. I knew that over the next few months, back in January, I knew that I would be studying a lot. I deliberately set aside most of my responsibilities in various ways to make sure that I could put studying first. And the first thing I did was I, so for me, it was watching Ninja Nerd. And my my aim over the first month was to basically get a baseline understanding of how the body works again, because I really didn't have that. So I didn't focus on any of the pathologies, really. It was more just an understanding. So I remember we went over like, um, I think it was with you, um, adrenaline and the adrenal receptors in different parts yeah. of the body. And how adrenaline will exert a different effect depending on the receptor it's binding to, and the subsequent G protein coupled receptor pathway, like you know the GQ, GI, um, yeah. whatever, attached to it. And basically, that would help me to sort of understand, be able to visualize how a certain medication actually works. Or another a good example would be the um, the clotting cascade. Just learning how that works. I know it's it's kind of common knowledge that learning mechanisms is better than rote learning, but um, with this, I think it's it's like, you. I visualize it as almost, you need a skeleton. You need to understand how it works in theory. And then all you have to say is like, oh, this medication, oh, warfarin just blocks vitamin K, you know? Any any of the vitamin K dependent clotting factors will, will not function correctly because of warfarin. Oh, well, I know what the vitamin K dependent clotting factors are. And I know what those clotting factors do. And I know what protein C, I know what protein S do. So yeah, like, I, I don't know, it makes it, easier to sort of memorize in a way I, I found over time that yeah i haven't had to try and memorize something but more just like be able to picture where how to put it into like a process if that kind of makes sense and i've tried to do that with as many different areas as possible another example would be for the um hematological cancers knowing oh, the yeah man that can get confusing yeah it, it definitely can get confusing but i think um taking time to understand the hematopoietic pathway sort of help me make sense of it because before I would just sort of memorize it. Do you know what I mean? So it'd be like, um, I don't know. I won't go into examples too much, but like, yeah, I would just memorize like, oh, a certain age group get this certain cancer. Um, this certain cancer presents with like bleeding or whatever, um, you know, and, and not really understanding why. Basically, I, I didn't realize how important it was to be able to completely understand processes and then be able to apply everything all the all the clinical stuff to those processes it's been really really interesting and over time my approach has changed you know the um, pomodoro technique yeah for someone like me it's really helped because i like quantifying things as you know and also yeah. it helped yeah, me like you, you'd just call me sometimes or like we'd have a quick call and then you'd be like okay i'm gonna go do like two and a half pomodoros or something or something. yeah oh, i've done like 17 pomodoros today like, yeah literally it's a okay. weird quantification technique. sadly never 17 but um <laughs> what i've done and i've got my calendar here i'll show you quickly um can you can you see it yeah yeah so every day on my calendar i've got a tally chart and I do a tally of how many Pomodoros I've done. And I've done that since January. So I know every single day. And what I do is I'm very disciplined with it now. So if I if I start recording a Pomodoro, if I start if I press go, I won't check my phone or anything. And I will study mm. that whole 25 minutes. So yeah. that, that's what the Pomodoro technique is essentially. For anyone who doesn't know, it's basically a timer. It's the idea that, yeah, you do 25 minutes working, five minutes not. And then you do that, you repeat that four times, and then you have a break. And that's essentially nearly, well, it's an hour and 40 of studying. Um, in two hours 
and you you can know deep down that that's proper you know high quality studying as opposed to like what I would usually do, which would be like five minutes, then Google something else, Google a map, mm. and then you know do ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, a map, yeah, classic. I would essentially work how I wanted to, but yeah, I, yeah. The, the Pomodoro technique gives me discipline. I don't know if you do that or yeah, I yeah, I, I use it sometimes when I'm just having those off days in terms of not really being able to just get started with work. I'll just be like, okay, I just need to sit down for 20, 25 minutes and just work distractions off and just start. Right. And it will help me get into the flow of it. And I think that's the important thing. I mentioned this in like the third episode we ever did like on willpower and stuff. You briefly asked about the Pomodoro technique and what I think of it is it, it's, it's a technique to use rather than like a thing to strictly follow. And the fact that the whole concept behind it is to get yourself into that kind of flow state as they call it and just get into it because once you get into it then it's fine typically the first 20 to 25 minutes is the hardest section like to actually start um working because your mind has to focus you're probably doing a couple of things before and now you just have to focus it something else will just come to mind like oh i should just quickly do this but the pomodoro technique you just commit yourself to not doing anything for the next 20 25 minutes and you'll just sit down and do it and eventually you'll just kind of get into it as your your brain just kicks into gear but that's why I think usually after like the third or fourth Pomodoro, they basically say to, or the classical technique is to then study for 50 minutes and then take a 10 minute break or something rather than just keep going on and on and on. And I've known some people who um, would just keep going the 25 minutes, 20, or five minutes or 25 minutes, five minutes off just c consistently. But the thing you should be doing, or at least what I think you should be doing is once you've done a couple of, you know, you might need two or three cycles to get into it. But then maybe on the third one, you're just in the flow. It's like, I don't really need the break. You shouldn't take the break then because it'll kind of break the flow and it will just slightly decrease productivity, um, you know, going on. So at that point, you should just kind of turn off the alarm and just continue going. But what I wanted to ask was for the what's it called, your calendar thing. Have you noticed any days where you just like every Friday you just have an off day or something? So I want to do a statistical analysis of it eventually because I've been, it's essentially data collection <laughs> yeah. and because it's to the minute, you know what I mean? Because I will stop it and I will not do any more work through the day and it's pure like um, sit down doing notes, studying and stuff. So I haven't noticed uh, that there's any day that stands out. I generally struggle more on the weekends, um, which is kind mm. of understandable more recently. But what is interesting is my rate has massively gone up since... Um, since February. Oh, that, that'd be really cool to just graph and hopefully just see a nice like linear yeah. increase or even like logarithmic increase, logarithmic, so, like exponential increase or something. In February, I was averaging around, well, I, my best days would be around six or seven, but also I had placement and stuff, you know, um, and my worst days would be zero or one. But then, yeah, going into March, steps it up more, um, like, you know, it was averaging about six a day. April again going up more and each each week I did at least um, 45 and then by by May there hasn't been a day where I haven't done six <clears throat> so you know um, most days I'm doing around 10 if not more and I have there's not been a single day I'm very proud of this there's not been a single day since um, April the 4th where I haven't done at least an hour and a half of Pomodoros, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is good, which is good. Yeah, yeah. There's consistency. But I do have some reflections to add on to what you were just talking about, because I completely agree with you. Just just one thing before you go, go on to those reflections. So there, there's a really interesting thing where it's becoming more and more apparent that 
So everyone knows about our sleep cycles, right? We have an hour and a half sleep cycles, but we have these ultradian rhythms throughout the day as well. And typically with studying as well, it's around 90 minutes as well. So you can properly concentrate for around 90 minutes. And it always follows like stages of like sleep cycles where the first 20 minutes, which is typically like stage one where you're falling asleep, you can be distracted and woken up very easily. It's the same thing with studying, right? And then the Pomodoro technique, I suppose just with wisdom over time is like two two 25 minute Pomodoros and then like a one hour Pomodoro as well, which ends up being around an hour and a half in a single sitting or if you do 425s around an hour and a half in a sink like of concentrated study following that kind of roughly 90 minute um ultradian cycle that we have throughout the day in terms of energy and concentration levels but i thought that was just like an interesting thing in the literature it's really it, it's um because it's like i'm doing sort of like data collection on myself you know because yeah. i've been doing it every day and there are no other variables really i'm sat at this exact same desk and i'm doing the same stuff every day when mm. i'm studying and what you're talking about focus is so true because so for me with my pomodoros it changed the one of the first reflection okay the first big reflection is i realized studying is something that you have to train yourself to get good at so what you were saying is, is something that i did as well with uh, in the first few weeks i'd be doing like a pomodoro five minute break pomodoro five minute break but when it got to around march time I stepped it up to doing 50 minute Pomodoros and um, yeah, that was nice because it made an even number and like, yeah, just quite easy to put into your day because I'd go into my room just for an hour. You know, I'd get home from placement and be like, okay, before I like go chill, have a shower or whatever, um, I'm just going to go do two Pomodoros. Easy. Um, Or like before going to bed after dinner, like, I don't know, go to my room, just do two more. It's nice of uninterrupted work. But as it's got later in the, the, towards the exam, now I'm able to do sometimes if it's, if I catch myself in a good state i can do 100 minute pomodoros which is four in a row which is no it's, it's not like um you know but for someone who struggles to focus it's a big improvement over just a few months you know um and it, again it is from the consistency thing because every, every day without fail i will do at least some even if it's a day where i don't think i've got any time I, now it's like a um i will make time for it like it, it doesn't matter i will force that time to be available and again so like nowadays I'll get onto the second reflection in a bit, but um, also don't act like um, you're impressed by me doing four Pomodoros in a row. I know how hard you work sometimes. <laughs> um, no, no, no. As in, I suppose like, it's that's, relative that's to 20% what, of my best. what you're usually doing. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, knowing no, me. To, yeah, to, to be fair, like recently, I've actually cut down the amount that I do it. I've once I started reading into the literature of like these old trading rhythms and 90 minute study, like concentration cycles and stuff, I started implementing that and it's just a lot more nicer to do to even just study 90 minutes and then just even have a five minute break. Like I'll go to, I won't, so I'll go to the toilet, but I'll just extend it out and like wash, like just take time washing my hands and go down, get a drink of water, but I'm not running up and down the stairs. Like I usually like, man, I need to get back to work. It's just so much nicer to have that tiny, tiny Mm. kind of Mm. lapse and then just go back into it. And in that time, you know, I just kind of let my mind wander and you start building those connections and whatnot. Yes. Um, Sometimes, I'll actually just go go to my bed and just lie down, like just facing upwards with nothing just for 20 minutes. And that's actually part of the other thing where that helps. Like if you do that really soon after you've gone through a period of learning something, right? It really helps to like build it together. Yeah, that, that's, that's just another thing I do as well. I mean, um, with four Pomodoros, that's only an hour and 40 minutes. So it's pretty much aligned to what you were talking about in terms of hour mm. and a half breaks. I find it works quite well. Yeah, if I can get into the flow after half an hour, yeah, it just it just works quite nicely, I think. And yeah, basically, that's where I'm at now. And another thing that I've noticed is, um, and this is something that I do in a lot of areas of life, 
I've noticed patterns in my motivation and how it changes. The more Pomodoros I've done, the less motivated I am to do more because I've become pleased with myself, even if I've got time. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a weakness. I've noticed it in myself. So like I've thought, hold on, like these days, I'll do around 10 a day, 10 Pomodoros a day. And remember, like I'm using Pomodoros as my currency, but I do do studying in other ways as well. You know, like for example, going through stuff with my flatmates, reading, like reading like textbooks and stuff. With the Pomodoros, that's literally me sitting down, adding to my notes or um, doing practice questions. Like literally. Um, yeah. or watching it's your YouTube isolated videos. like studying time. it's like pure studying yeah it's yeah. like pure studying uninterrupted but yeah there'll be other times in the day that I'm doing work but yeah anyway so what I've noticed is um, I always end up these days around at around 10 or 11 Pomodoros whatever happens in the day even if I've got a very busy day or even if I've got a very like free up day so yeah I've just noticed that it's because if I've done like 8 by like 4pm 5pm I just start like getting too comfortable and my approach to it changes and I think that would be the next barrier for me to break through is um, not getting satisfied or lazy if I reach that point of improvement. It, it must be kind of like if you get a really good mark in your exam and then that's just the mock. You know, as you get towards the real exam, probably you're not working as hard as if you did badly in the mock. So, yeah, whereas, as I said, like if I've got a day where I play football or I go do sports, so yesterday I played football, I only started working at four. But I still managed to fit in 10 Pomodoros just because... I was stressed, you know, mm. I, I, I forced it. So my motivation was high throughout the evening until I finished. So do you see what I'm coming from there? Like, um, yeah, it's basically my energy towards it changes based off of how, how I've done so far. And I think um, one thing to do is raise that bar. So before that bar would be at like six Pomodoros, I'd be pleased, you know, back in February or March, I'd taper off after six. Now I'll get to six and in my head, I'm not pleased. I'm, I'm like, that's nowhere near enough. I don't know how to describe exactly like that. It's not a theory, yeah. but that that experience. But w what do you think of that? It's like your expectation drives your motivation, basically. And my expectations have naturally gone up as I've done more work. And that drives my motivation. Yeah, I suppose it's just a natural part of human psychology at that point, because it happens in every single walk of life, not just studying, right? Think about diet, right? Someone who's strict on their diet and stuff. If they've been solid on their diet for a month. They'll become slightly complacent and compromised. Be like, you know, I'm pleased with myself in terms of sticking to my diet. Now I can, you know, I can have this cheat meal or cheat week or whatever they do. Yeah, but then the thing is, say what typically happens is, you know, you'll have that bad meal and it'll extend out to the whole day. And then maybe the next couple of days, if you manage to stock up on junk food or something. And then after that, you're, it's, it starts stressing you out. You're like, oh man, I'm going to lose my gains or gain body fat or whatever, right? Or, do you, you know, just it's harmful for my health. Then that stress kicks in and then you go like overboard in extreme, which is like what you're saying, where if you haven't studied until like four, because you've been out playing football or something, then you come back slightly stressed and it's it's a good thing, right? It's hard to stay at just a constant level in terms of motivation, energy, um, and just every single aspect of your life. It's just impossible, right? So you're going to have the natural fluxes, basically, your waxes and wanes, basically. So yeah, it's entirely natural, but sometimes you do have to go against that natural course and force order within the disorder, right? So you, when you are getting like, oh man, I've done eight already. It's only like 3 p.m. or something. So I can probably just, you know, leave it for the rest of the day, even though it's like, it would just be complete. like, if you do 12, then it, it gives you even more room to compromise tomorrow and have a proper, nice, fully ra relaxed day. But then you also have to kind of take that into account for yourself and be like, would I rather just have a full day off or would I rather just have a couple of hours off every single day? So I suppose it's, yeah, being aware and reflective and just introspecting with yourself, being like, what would I actually prefer, right? And it's always 
always tempting to be like, oh man, I'll just do it now, right? You know, because everyone has with that kind of stuff, they want that instant gratification, you know, that low, the um, you know, high time preference in terms of the fact they they want it you want it now in terms of anything that's pleasurable. But if you can just extend it out to just kind of delay it and maybe have you can take a whole weekend off and that would just be a really nice reset if you just do slightly extra for every single day and not compromise. So you just have to figure it out for yourself, I think. So what do you think about days off then? Sorry. So like um when you're studying because because what I've done is I haven't taken days off and I found that um some days I feel like um my focus is really like quite bad and I have to really power through. Like um a couple of days ago, I did get the 10 Pomodoros done, but it took me ages. Like I didn't really have time to do other stuff in the day because yeah, I constantly found myself I would even be pausing it and like checking my phone, doing death scrolling. I just wasn't yeah, focused. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I got to I got there in the end because of the like drives, like I, oh I have to do my ten, but I found it really hard. Whereas other days, like this morning, for example, before we spoke, I, I managed to do a few, and um, because I knew we were speaking, I just worked through it very hard, and it wasn't difficult really. I, I was just like mm. in it. So yeah, I was gonna say like, do you think it's better to actually just take whole days off that rather than if I was so a couple of days ago when I was struggling, do you think it would have been better? Um, to just have taken that day off, just go, look, I'm clearly like not focused, a bit fatigued mentally, just take a day off. What do you think? Yeah, it, it depends on your circumstances, right? If you're like that, but you have an exam in two days, you probably don't have the luxury <laughs> to just write off that day, right? So when I find days like that, I'll kind of assess my situation and be like, okay, is it really entirely necessary for me to go through this sense of unpleasantness, right? And just really try and focus myself and just do it. Um, or do I have the luxury to be able to just kind of leave it off for today and just do what my mind wants me to do and just continue and go come back strong the next day, right? Um, so that's the way I'd kind of initially analyze it. But I find that I get that I get into the death, death scroll sometimes, right? That's why I'm really strict in terms of not using my phone until like usually around 1 or 2 p.m. really, just so I don't wake up and just start scrolling on Instagram and I'll just spend an hour and a half in bed or something. It's just like... As soon as that happens, I, I sometimes everyone has falters and has days like that. That day, every single time, it just feels so crap. Like, I hate it because then everything I want to do is just not gonna like fit in schedule properly, and it's just so irritating. So yeah, that's why I force that upon myself. But sometimes I'll just find after two p.m. or something, I still have a lot of stuff to do. But you know, I'm just gonna have a break. I've been work. I typically work for like five to six hours straight when as soon as I wake up, basically. Well, not working. I'll read like just book reading for, for about 45 minutes to an hour, then read Quran for, for a little bit. Then, yeah, then I'll start doing my actual work as I kind of warm up into it. So I'll do some like lighter tasks and then I'll go into it for like three hours and do some solid work. And then after that, then I'll have a break. But if I just suddenly find myself like desk scrolling, it's been like two hours and I usually I can just get back into it and be like, okay, I'll stop it this time and I'll just do it. Or I'll do a task like exercise where I was like, okay, I'm not really feeling like working, can't concentrate. So I'll just exercise, right? And I'll just pump me up and get me into it so it's, then I can sit down and work, right? But sometimes I'll just write off the day. I'm like, oh, I really cannot be bothered to do anything, right? So I'll just write off the day and I'll just do whatever I want, whether it's just binging videos on YouTube and stuff. But sometimes, well, most of the time, I kind of just force myself to get into it. And it's just a matter of practice, right? In terms of what are the cues and mental techniques you can like talk to yourself with to just kind of get back into it. Because we talk about habits and that's the thing I kind of struggle with is like thinking, okay, this is definitely a habit for me at this point, but is taking a day off or two days off breaking that habit? No, I'd say if it's not more than three days, it's not really breaking the habit. And in fact, it can reinforce that habit because especially if you're learning stuff, because 
the, the main thing that you need to maximize is learning as well, because if you're just forming the habit of studying, but not actually learning it and taking it in and properly formulating those connections in your brain is, is futile, basically. So that, that's the important thing. And sometimes taking a few days off facilitates learning because you need to sleep after learning something, right? Which is why that 20 minutes after studying for like 90 minutes and just kind of turning off your brain is acting like a non-sleep, deep rest kind of thing, right? So you can just slowly form those connections. Um, you also need to sleep, right, in in that day after, you know, for a solid like six hours at least, or however much you naturally need, right? To ensure you get your non-sleep, uh, your your deep sleep and your, your so your non-REM sleep and your REM sleep, depending on what you're learning, they kind of facilitate different types of learning, whether that's more knowledge-based or more practical motor coordinated based. Um, one example that I've had is I recently got a motorbike and obviously I've just been practicing riding around a lot to just slowly get used to it and just improve. And there's a lot of improving. And I'll go out each day with one thing that I want to learn, like ones who are just my right turns because like obviously left turns are just easier in England because we drive on the left-hand side of the road. And But right turns, it was just there was just a few extra factors that you had to consider and I just wasn't fully comfortable with doing it. So I just went out one day and just practiced right turns. I was literally going around in circles with in different right turns, just kept doing that. And then in my sleep, I was literally dreaming about right turns, right? But that continued for two days and like two nights, even though I hadn't gone out and done more right turns afterwards. And same with other aspects of the motorbike as well in terms of controlling it. So... Yeah, you actually end up reinforcing your learning for three nights after you initially learned something. So you can actually take days off, right, in terms of learning something, but you will still be improving your learning for three, around three days after. So if you sleep on that first night after, you sleep well after the, on the first night that you've learned something, yeah, you'll solidify some amount of learning. But to actually maximize everything that you learned on that day, you actually have to make sure you get good sleep for three days after. So cramming in before an exam, you have to at least... Finish the cramming three days before the exam to actually maximize it all into your brain. So sometimes just taking those days off, and, but just making sure that you're fully relaxed and not staying up at night and just sleeping will actually help your studying in that sense. It's, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I think um, I haven't had the, as you know, yeah, I haven't taken days off, so I don't really know how it solidifies, but I do find that... Well, uh, as in, it doesn't solidify by taking a day off, right? But as in, you aren't taking away from your learning no, by taking no, a day off. That's what I'm saying. So... If you think about it, it's all kind of overlapping, right? So if if you learn yes, something, completely. then it continues for three three I nights after yeah, and yeah. stuff. Yeah. I was just saying, like, um, I haven't experienced that with one, you know, given thing. Like, um, yeah, taking the day off and then going back and doing it and realizing that I'm not any worse because right now I'm doing it every day. I don't notice how I'm actually like I'm actually sort of absorbing still content from a couple of days ago at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, really so there, there's a lag time there's a yeah. lag time but that's why sometimes taking the day off and then just coming back and realizing you're actually better even though you didn't revise it for that one day or two days it kind of reinforces that you know there is a lag time to it and then it makes you feel good with that studying that you do do and it motivates you because you're like wow this actually works so yeah i find that more with piano than anything else mm. It's, it's easier to kind of assess with physical things or like say if you're learning like improving oh. your basketball shot it's easier to analyze it with that because you'll take two days off and then you, then you come back and you're just hitting like 100% threes or something even though you were only at 20% two days ago and didn't practice in between so that completely it's, it's easier with, with piano. that that completely happens with piano where I would be playing a piece in the evening and struggling with a certain line and like oh goodness you know this is this line is too hard like I, I'm not I'm not managing to do it but then two do, two or three days later I'd go and sit down or often it'd be the next day I'd go and sit down and I'd be able to play it and I would just visualize it as like oh it's solidified in my brain overnight mm. or whatever it's fascinating yeah. though that's that's like my like anecdotal proof of that yeah but the key thing is is that so 
you that next day you'll realize that you're even better than you were yesterday as well but that isn't because of the practice you were really doing yesterday it was because mm. of the solidifying of the practice that, that you first did two days mm. ago that was mm. solidifying even more so there's that slight lag but yeah i think it's just an interesting way to think about it and once you become aware of these different things in the terms of the way our brain works right everyone's going to be slightly different but once you kind of become aware of it and notice it then you can actually utilize that to your benefit, right? So even if I write off the day and I'm like, man, I just can't do anything, I'll make sure that I sleep properly, sleep really well, like have the best sleep of the week or something, just to make sure that I can maximize on what I did the other day. So um, there are a couple of things that kind of follow on from that. And one is the, what I've learned about how, um, now I'm at a point where I can tell if I'm actually learning something versus just sitting there for no reason. And I think mm. that's this kind of skill in itself that I've had to sort of get better at over time. I've, I've, I'm more used to the feeling with languages where like I will learn a new word or a new phrase. And instead of just going like, oh, that's the word, I will sit there and close my eyes and like, you know, really try and think of that word for itself. Not, not as a translation. I remember that we talked about it a bit in one of the languages episodes that, yeah, I don't, I don't, um, you know, like uh, the Spanish word for beach, playa. Mm. Not, not just thinking of playa as beach, you know, there's the English, the, the, the Spanish word for beach, but I would close my eyes and think playa and like visualize a beach and be like, that's playa. That's not beach. That's playa. Oh, yeah. That's playa. That's the, the, there's not, there's nothing to do with the word beach. That's a different language. This is playa. So then I, I'm, I'm seeing that for what it actually is sort of, um, or how mm. they see it because that's how they see it in, in Spain. You know, they don't see that as beach. <laughs> they see that yeah. as playa. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know how to, how to really describe that in any other way, but I kind of am applying that to medicine at this point where, yeah, I will learn about a, um, condition or a certain, I don't know, like, um, valvular defect in the heart and I won't just think of it as like oh that's asystolic murmur I'll try and really understand it as well as I possibly can you know the 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 reason why it's a systolic murmur and then just visualize that and it helps me just understand that I don't have to memorize it from then on and I think this is again quite an obvious thing like um if you ask any med student who's learning they will say like oh yeah you, you shouldn't just wrote learn it you sh you should memorize it but yeah it, it goes it goes further than that in that you, you have to know when you're learning and when you're just like sitting there and just like taking in information properly. Mm. Yeah. And I don't know if you do, you, do you ever get that feeling sometimes where it's like, I'm not really taking anything in right now um, and being able to tell like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really learning this right now. Yeah. The thing is, is that I think that's just the way I've naturally done, done it because I'm so bad at memorizing things. I'm so bad at rote learning, just memorizing facts or figures and just pathways. I just cannot memorize them. Obviously, there is a certain amount of memorizing that you need because that's the foundation of knowledge, right? You need to be able to remember the, the, the clotting cascade to be able to understand where different drugs would act, right? So you just need to memorize that almost. And then, but if you understand then afterwards that what kind of works in, uh, like how it all kind of links into each other with different drugs or just general physiology, that's the understanding on top of mm. it, after which you can make inferences and connections afterwards. Yes. That's the point you understand. But you need to memorize it as the, as the baseline. But I really struggle with that baseline. But I can usually, so, and I've been like that since a child, basically. I would just always sit and understand it and be like, okay, this concept makes sense. And from, you know, if you reason from this, logically it means X, Y, Z, right? So that's the way I've just always kind of learned things, which I suppose is the more kind of first principle is just breaking it down and then just kind of building it up. As long as you know the fundamental and you know certain rules and logic rules and, and stuff, you can just build up any kind of concept from there. 
rather than having to remember the whole derivation of something um, yes. or the entire reasoning line of reasoning you can just all every single time that you need to answer the question you can just form you can generate the line of reasoning every time because you understand it rather than trying to memorize it so i it's only recently that I've kind of understood that that's how I do it because in med school, I realized that, okay, there's a certain amount of memorizing that I actually need to do. So then I can build the reasoning on top of it. But yeah, so I realized that before I never really remembered anything. And I, I'd always struggle with remembering the small details that you could only really just memorize. So yeah, that, that's just the way it's been for me. And um, it's, it's also important to find a balance with it in that like, um, yeah, it's not important. So if we just continue with the clotting cascade example, it isn't important to remember exactly which factor goes where and, and what cofactor is required at which step. Or for example, when we're talking about the GI, GQ, GS pathways, I, it's not important to remember, you know, oh, IP3 goes to this, goes to that, goes to that. Um, I'm not saying that you need to memorize that. I'm saying like, um, just if you, that's why Ninja Nerd was so good. I wouldn't sit there and watch Ninja Nerd videos and like write everything down and try and memorize it. I'll just watch to see how the process works and how I just get how that process works. And I know what you end up with. I know that, I don't know, there are a lot of steps in it. And yeah, it, that's the sort of, um, that's the sort of point of it in my eye. So yeah, with the clotting cascade as well, even I couldn't just sit here right now, um, even though there are not that many factors involved and just <laughs> tell you with a hundred percent confidence it goes from this to this to this to this. And then the intrinsic pathway goes from this to this to this to this. But it's more just, I understand how it, how it works. You know, that one pathway is longer than the other. Different things trigger them. Um, different like proteins are involved. And then you end up with this. And then certain conditions will affect proteins on one side and on the other side. And it's, do, you, do you get where I'm coming from? Like, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. I wouldn't um, say, I wouldn't want people to get caught up um, in like over understanding something as well it's, because then it's, it stops being efficient. And there's so much to cover in medicine that you can't do that. Yeah. Uh, as in, so I, I, w I think you meant over memorizing things or yeah. did you mean over understanding things? Um, even... You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna die on this hill. I'm gonna say okay. even over understanding things because Fair enough. there are some things that um I, I in an ideal world you would understand everything, but there are some things where you kind of just have to know where to draw the line because you can just keep mm. going deeper and deeper into a topic. Yeah, like um I don't know. I, I won't give any examples, but yeah, okay. I, I don't know. Uh, some things are, are so complex that you just have to at some point accept that that's kind of how it works. And also you end up at points where they don't know how a certain drug works and yeah. you just have to kind of accept it. So instead of just trying to read into new papers like, no, I need to get how this drug works. You do have to sometimes just say, okay, I accept this. This slows the heart rate down or this metformin works in this way, but I don't need to understand the complex mechanism behind it. Not always, anyway. Anyway, what do you think? Are you going to disagree with me? Oh, no. Slightly. I mean, okay, we can both agree on the over-memorization, right? And yes. rote learning. That can obviously go way in excess. And a lot of people probably succumb to that. and just Mnemonics. Oh, too, <laughs> yeah, many exactly. too many mnemonics. <laughs> yeah, to, to be fair, you know, they have their place. And cer certain ones help me remember stuff like, you know, even all the branches of the external carotid artery and stuff. Every single time I have to go through that. So I just, no. So, you know, they're, they're useful. Usually I stay away from it. But yeah, so with over-memorizing, like, yeah, at certain points, you do need to memorize it, at least initially, but forgetting it isn't a bad thing, right? I needed to memorize every single part of the clotting cascade for my exam, right? And I needed to memorize it initially to facilitate learning and understanding the clotting cascade. Because if I was reading something about the clotting cascade, you know, a concept or a particular point in it, that's important. But I didn't memorize the clotting cascade, then it would just be inefficient. Oh, wait, let me just quickly get up the clotting cascade. And what part is this again? And then go back to it and then read something else and be like, oh, wait, hang on, what is it again? If I just kind of memorized it initially, 
then as I'm reading through, I can just be, oh, okay, that's there and there, just building it in my head, right? And that's reinforcing the memorization of it. I can't remember the clotting cascade fully and, you know, what num what factor, what number of factor goes where and how it links in. I can't, I wouldn't be able to, you know, draw it out properly. I used to be able to for the exam and stuff, but not anymore. But the thing is from that, what I kept was the understanding of the important factors that play into it. Mm -hmm. There's certain cofactors and, you know, your protein C, protein S pathways and stuff. And because that's important because at that point it becomes clinically important. Say with, you know, DVT treatment or something, you'd give warfarin and uh, heparin at the same time because paradoxically warfarin is prothrombotic in the first couple of yes. days or, or, or something. Yeah, because of the, uh, the way it inhibits protein S and C and stuff. So that's a part you end up memorizing and you understand that concept, right? But I don't need to remember it's exactly the clotting cascade anymore. I need to just, because I understand the clotting cascade in terms of the different aspects of it, I can then remember and understand why certain things like warfarin is prothrombotic at the beginning when you start giving it to someone. So that's the important thing with understanding. And I think the problem with over-understanding stuff is if you feel like you're over-understanding or you're getting confused, you haven't understood enough you haven't understood the fundamentals enough and you're trying to understand stuff that is out of your realm of knowledge right it mm. has to you have to go in a stepwise fashion yes. you just try and jump into quantum mechanics uh, without even understanding just basic you know particle you know fundamentals and stuff it's not going to be fun and then what you're essentially doing where you feel like you understand something is you're actually just memorizing so that's where the problem comes in you're just actually memorizing at that point not understanding it People don't understand the f fundamentals well enough if they feel they're struggling to understand the higher level stuff. And most people, you know, struggle to go along that pathway because then understanding the higher level stuff becomes easier. And then obviously it's going to reach the point where we don't really know what happens at this point or we don't understand it properly in terms of the scientific community. But at that point, you you know why we don't understand it, if that makes sense. <laughs> I suppose it's kind of like the the whole Dunning-Kruger effect as well, where, you know, you initially you can find yourself on the peak of Mount Stupid, right? But at that point, you feel like you understand a lot, but you've actually only just memorized some complex stuff, whereas you haven't fully understood the fun fundamentals. But as you properly start under understanding the fundamentals, you come off that, you come off the other side of that mountain and you get that peak, the, the valley of despair where you're like, oh my God, I don't really know anything. That's because you're truly understanding the fundamentals at that point and you're realizing how complex or how your understanding of the more complex stuff was initially incorrect. And then, you know, you slowly increase and then plateau eventually um, as you reach the peak of the scientific literature in, in, in that area. But yeah, that's my opinion on over-memorizing and over-understanding. Because ultimately, yeah, it depends on your circumstances. And I have a set deadline, which is, yeah, the 20th of May. So um, I knew this whole time that, yeah, if I was getting too caught up, so for example, cancer, where it's so complicated, certain cancers are so complicated, uh, like the brain tumors, I don't have enough time to sit there and completely understand how some of them yeah. the, arise and then why they're managed in a certain way, why they give certain symptoms. I don't know. Th that's why overall, my favorite part of medicine that, that uh, like, I've come out with is um, just like internal medicine in general, because they all work together so much. I didn't realize, you know, like renal medicine works so closely with cardiology that works so closely with endocrinology. And they basically are all almost the, not the same thing at all, but like um, they work. It's all linked, right? Yeah. All, it's all really linked. And cardiology mm. works so closely with respiratory medicine. And then, mm. yeah, respiratory medicine, I don't know, like respiratory <laughs> medicine and... 
Yeah, this gets onto a big gripe that I have with the medical system right now, because as we advance in knowledge and technology and stuff, we end up becoming hyper-specialized to complete, to, com mm. to keep producing like productive output, right? In terms of knowledge or actual physical goods, it just becomes hyper-specialized. Manufacturers become hyper-specialized. Science, scientists or people of knowledge become hyper-specialized in particular fields as well. But then that leaves this weird kind of area where you go into hospital with a particular condition and that leads to something else or something else gets discovered. So then the cardiologists are just like, yeah, we'll refer you to the like nephrologist and stuff and they'll, you know, sort out with your kidneys. But then, but then something else might occur with the, on the nephrologist side and they'll refer you back to the cardiologist or to another team. And now the cardiologists are out the picture because they don't know that referral that happened. And then it comes back around and then you realize the medication they were giving is now interfering with the cardiology medicine or the cardiac medicine initially given or something, or the management's are just conflicting, right? So that's a problem that you get with hyper-specialization. We see it a lot and I've seen it a lot, even in the short time I've had in placements where it's just kind of a bouncing between referrals or three doctors all working on one person. But it's required, right, to a certain extent. But... I think people end up getting too, like niching down too hard in the fact that yes. they start forgetting the the other stuff or they didn't truly understand the fundamentals of the other specialties. Because you don't have to, obviously you don't, you aren't going to be able to be an expert in cardiology and then also an expert in some, some other thing that's, you know, quite, you know, separated, say. Dermatology. Yeah, dermatology, right? You're not going to be able to like understand the high level of the dermatology. You just won't have time if you really do want to become an expert in cardiology. But all you all you have to do to make sure these big conflicts don't happen is understand the fundamentals, just the core fundamental yes, principles agree, of man. it. And then you'll at least be able to understand or like decipher, just be like, oh, okay, maybe if I do this and this might affect their like their dermatological condition or something or whatever other specialty, right? Or it might compromise this aspect of their, you know, physiological function. Um, and they have some kind of predisposition for a disease in that. So if you refer them to that, they have to be aware or you have to make sure that they, they like the other team becomes aware of it, right? So improve that communication and improve the understanding where people don't just work in isolated ways. But I think people are starting to just be like, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to hyper-specialize in this and just kind of forget the fund, not forget the fundamentals because that's very hard to do, but forget to even learn the fundamentals of this speciality, uh, other specialties properly um, before you start hyper-specializing. But yeah, that, that's just uh, irritating. That's why th there's, um after after our foundation training, there's a new, it came around fairly recently, um, stage of training, internal medicine training, IMT. Mm -hmm. And that's three years extra on top of F1, F2, where you have to do, it's like if you want to do cardiology or other um, like internal medicine specialities, you have to do three years of more rotations, all just in internal medicine, whether that be gastroenterology or I don't know, renal. And I think that's really good because it gives you like a, a lot more time with a, with a more fundamental understanding of the main systems in the body. I mean, obviously we're only medical students. So, you know, I'm very naive still. I don't know if, if any doctors end up listening to this who are like in their IMT or later, they'll probably be thinking, oh, these guys don't know what they're talking about. But like, um, I can imagine how it's really good having those extra years of training before you go into, say, cardiology training, having had three years of working in different um, internal medicine specialties, seeing how the different systems work together, at least kind of having that bridge in between. I think that's a good idea. Mm, don't don't you think that's kind of the role of medical school though, to, to a certain extent, especially like fifth and sixth year? But working as a doctor is actually having the responsibility and being there, you know, sometimes you'll be the most senior person around making those decisions. I don't know. I think it's quite different mm. to medical school where most of the time you are just sort of like kind of 
chilling, just watching stuff going, seeing like yeah. asking if you can get involved and going for imaginary teaching at one pm and like yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I think that I think that should be the role of that. You know that those three years of internal medicine training, right? I think that should be part, like that should be the primary aim essentially of the three clinical years that you have at med school. But it gives you those three clinical years plus two years of foundation training plus three more years of internal medicine training. By that point, you've had eight years of like. Yeah, medicine. but the thing is, you know, all of this watching around and not really doing much. Yeah, that should only really happen in like say the first couple of months of your first clinical year. After that, it should be more and more hands-on and because i think the way it's structured in the uk in the fact that you they just kind of send you to a hospital and you get stuck with a ward for a couple of weeks and you just kind of like uh waddle your way in and sometimes the doctors don't even know like oh who are you or, oh are you meant to be here at this time they don't really know what's going on because obviously they're just focusing on their stuff although they've agreed like yeah we'll take some students or whatever like in america it's much more focused and the fact that yeah obviously I, i'm not entirely familiar with the american system but one of the things that i i prefer of them um, like with the American system in terms of training and the fact that it is more focused in terms of the education side of things mm. and it really builds you up in that fundamental like really quickly um they they probably specialize hard they specialize a lot harder than they do in in the in the UK they go straight into specialization which is why you know you can be, go from resident to like attending doctor or whatever it is which is basically like consultant level within like 4 years in a particular specialty um but I think it's also because they just have a lot more focus on the education. It's, it's like properly structured in terms of education rather than uh, let me just try find a doctor and see if I can take some blood. Like it's, it's a lot more structured or something. Um, that's after med school, but I'm not so, m not so much sure about in, inside med school, but I, I, I think it's quite similar. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. That's just my opinion. And obviously I don't understand the nuances in terms of organising that stuff and obviously privatising America, more more public in, in the UK. Um, so yeah. We're just having to preface everything and finish every statement with like, but I don't know, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but it's because, interesting to think about. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure our views will change, but yeah, that's where I stand for now. Yeah, I'm aware that we've like kind of um, reached the hour mark and... Um, yeah, that might be a nice time to sort of wrap it up for this week. Um, but it is interesting. It has been interesting to just reflect a bit on the last few months of actually being a real life student and doing my studying and stuff, which it has been fun. But I do look forward to going back to Chinese next week and um, <laughs> looking at maps for hours instead. Yeah, um, I guess it will all come with time. But I suppose we'll just leave it there then. Okay, we'll leave it there. All right. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Getting It. If you enjoyed this episode, or didn't, then feel free to leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcasts app, or on the Apple Podcasts website. We'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, or questions about anything we discussed, so feel free to email us at thoughts at gettingit.co.uk. You can also reach us on Twitter or Instagram at gettingit underscore pod. You can find all the links in the show notes.